Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vols Nines. This is the 59th episode of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack. Shame to be a Newcastle fan alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing on this day in Newcastle United history? Footy, Zach. I told you so. Footy. It's a fair one. That's a fair one. You did call that. I think it was is that our last episode or the one before that you said that we would lose to, to Sheffield? It was our last pod. Sheffield United had yet to play Crystal Palace. And I said that they would not win that game and they would win the game against Newcastle. And sure enough, Zach, here we are. Tuesday, 12th of January, the exact day I called it. Helps that it was on the fixture list. You even I, knew what day of the victory. month the match was on. You I, I knew man. what time it was going to happen. I, I knew that right around was it 1 p.m. Mountain Time today that we were all going to be crying into our lunch? Into our lunch, yeah. Mm-hmm. Horrible, horrible match. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, not not a great day to be a, a football fan. Man United going top of the table, three points clear of Liverpool. Uh, same amount of games played, which is an important thing now that you know so many teams are playing so many different amounts of games so far. Newcastle United slipping down, down, down. No wins in our last six. I no wins in our last eight matches in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Sheffield United getting that elusive three points, that green check mark um, for the first time this season. So uh, yeah, we're we're gonna do kind of mix it up a little bit today, just because the fixtures in the Premier League have been pretty fragmented over the last couple of weeks. We'll talk about the Newcastle match briefly, um, and then we'll high-level overview of the FA Cup matches, the other two Premier League matches today, the Man United one and the Everton victory over Wolves. Uh, and then we will chat about some some of the round four fixtures in the FA Cup, uh, armchair pundits, 10 and 90, the whole gambit. Um, but yeah, do you want to start with, start with Newcastle, Sheffield United? Well, before we get started here, Zach, I'd like to start with a new segment for our listeners. Um, something I've been thinking about for a while now. Um, I think it's fair to say that our listeners are very familiar with me and my extensive knowledge of English football uh, and and basically the great trivia and the great statistics that I come up with and grill you on every single week in, well, I guess it's bi-weekly, um, but every, every bi-week um, from a 10 and 90 standpoint. So I wanted to tee up a new section for you. I'm calling it EPL trivia because I couldn't come up with a better name, Um, but I'm going to start and this is how it's going to work, Zach. I'm going to ask a question at the beginning of the pod. I'd like you to hold whether you know the answer or not for the time being. Midway through the pod, I will give a clue for those listeners that are struggling a little bit. And at the end of the podcast, I will give you an answer um, as to that question. And there, this is all Premier League trivia, fairly even even chance that anybody could get this if they're a Premier League fan. It's not Newcastle related per se. Um, so, what do you think? You you down for for giving that a try this week? Let's do it. Yeah, I will. I'll stay. I'll stay silent as to my guesses. All right, listeners. Here's our first EPL trivia podcast fifty nine for the False Nights. Which former EPL player holds the record for most ever EPL appearances with a total of six hundred and fifty three? I'll ask that one more time. Which former EPL player holds the record for most ever Premier League appearances with a total of 653? Zach, I want you to think about it. Don't give I'm, me your answer I'm just yet. Pr- I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer, but I will not I will not say anything for the sake of the ruse. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good question. They're, Fantastic. Yeah, Halfway through they're... the pod, I will I will ask you if the clue that I give further cements your thoughts or perhaps mm-hmm. dissuades you from your initial inclination. There you go. Cool. Uh, all right, great. So from from that trivia question, we'll go into the action of the day. I'm not at the highest energy, I think, today, uh, partially because I didn't sleep last night very well, but partially because of what I witnessed from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Mountain Standard Time, uh, which was Newcastle being defeated by Sheffield United. Sheffield United getting their first win in 18 matches this season picking up their third fourth and fifth point of the campaign um started out with the formation it was a 5-4-1 assembled by bruce i know that you know not all the players are healthy there are some tired legs but 
right off the bat. Five at the back, uh, including Paul Dummett, who is a quasi center back, uh, and then Char Fernandez, um, DeAndre Yedlin, and who's the third center back? Uh, it was Karen Clark. Karen Clark was the third. So pretty much like three and a half center backs. Yedlin, who uh, is one of the more inconsistent players, I would say, in Newcastle history. Uh, and then the four in midfield were Jeff Hendrick, Sean Longstaff, Isaac Hayden, and Ryan Frazier with Callum Wilson on an island up top. Uh, <laughs> pretty uninspiring lineup, Adam. Right off the bat, you you could tell that it's the old Bruce mantra of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And it's not like we've been winning games with that formation. We've been competing in games against far superior teams. And that's the that's the kicker here, Zach. This was not a far superior team. This is statistically the worst team in Premier League history to this point in a season. This is a team that when you look at a fixture list, you think well, this is one that we are going to have to win if we want to be staying in this division. And unfortunately, we set our stall out with a 5-4-1 to not go at them, to sit back, to absorb pressure and try and catch them on the counterattack. Newsflash, Steve Bruce. Alan St. Maximin's still out injured. Miggy Almiron is not in the starting lineup. Where's that counterattack coming from? Is it coming from Jeff Hendrick? Don't think so, my friend. Super negative formation, super negative tactics, if you can even credit him by calling them tactics. And it just, from the offset, you could tell, I, I, I said this right as the game was starting, we are set up to have another sub-30% possession game in this game. Um, and I will say that we had slightly more than that, but not much. Yeah, it was, you know, exactly. Very, yeah, the, the, like if you're going to set up a team to play back and play on the counter, you have to have some sort of pace, some sort of, you know, spark on the counter. And you have Ryan Frazier, who maybe two seasons ago would provide that. He has been injured almost the entire season so far. Um, Callum Wilson is not a pacey striker by any means. And obviously playing up there alone doesn't really have the opportunity to, to lead the attack. And then Longstaff, Hayden, I'd say Sean Longstaff is not a defensive midfielder, but certainly is not, has no pace going forward. Uh, it, it offered nothing. And, and we saw that over the first half. Um, the really the, I, I would say low lights of the first half, like you said, that, an incredibly low possession number, letting Sheffield United dominate that game. I don't think that's an over-exaggeration at all. Besides the Fernandez cross that Wilson headed wide, there was not any sort of hint of a Newcastle attack. And what really what really summed it up was Ryan Frazier, two yellow cards in three minutes, both obvious yellow card offenses. And going into halftime, nil-nil, a man down, I think, almost every single Newcastle fan knew it was going to come. It was going to be even more defensive if possible. And then just staving off any sort of attack for a point that never came. Federico Fernandez giving up a bit of a controversial penalty kick in the 73rd minute. He handled the ball that went to the VAR. I think it's a fair penalty to give. I mm -hmm. don't think it's a definite one, but I don't particularly see an issue with that penalty. And Billy Sharp, the, uh, the talisman putting it away uh, to get Sheffield United their lead in the match. Yep, it was. I, I totally agree with both. I thought it was a red card for Ryan Fraser. Set two yellows, pretty straightforward. How do you go, how do you go in and make a mistake like that for the second one three minutes after you, you you're on a caution? Right, you're supposed to be walking a tightrope and playing it, you know, a little bit more cautious. It's not like we were playing fantastic to that point, but any chance that we had in that game, I think that was put paid to when we were knocked down to 10 men and here's the big difference when we when we played against fulham and they were down to 10 men we did not capitalize on it we did not take those three points sheffield united did today and um it was a penalty fernandez motioned his left arm to knock the ball away um from the strikers he was going through and and for me it was a clear penalty billy sharp stood up and and put it away well and billy sharp was uh you know was in a different moment of controversy controversy about seven minutes later a what looked like a clear red card challenge on uh fabian char's left achilles only getting a yellow card var seemed very uninterested in being involved in that one but i i think 
few Newcastle fans would harp on us not getting back to even men as being the reason for you know us losing this game. Newcastle had no business winning this match. We at no point showed any desire to win this match, I would say, even before we went down to 10 men. It ended with 66% possession for Sheffield United, 33 for Newcastle, 17 shots to seven in favor of Sheffield United. Um, and, you know, I, there was nothing positive in that match. There was not one moment of positivity that I, I saw in that match. And Adam, I will, this is, I guess, a pseudo armchair pundit, but that first that first 45 minutes was the worst half that I've ever seen Newcastle play in any match. I feel like, that I've, I feel like I've ever, said that I've, many times this season. I feel like they've been outdoing themselves. This this was the worst half I've ever, like this was worse than the 4-0 at halftime against Arsenal in 2011. But, you know, barring that miraculous comeback, giving up four goals at home uh, to Arsenal, th that, w there were some positives clearly you could take out of that since we were able to come back. But going up against, as you said, statistically the worst team in Premier League history through 17 matches, knowing that we needed a win, playing completely, completely flat, that first half was, I I'd say, by far and large, the worst half I've ever witnessed Newcastle put out. <laughs> Bold statement. Um, it's not, uh, I mean, it wasn't great, but it hasn't been great. And it, they're all kind of blending together now for me. Sure. I'm like, I'm, there have been halves like that where I've texted you and I've said, that was awful. That's the worst I've ever seen Newcastle play. And I can't even remember what they are because there's so many of them at this point. I'll, I'll ask you this. How, how uninterested are you to watch Newcastle play matches in the Premier League at the moment? It's quite depressing. I'm just not looking forward to it in any way, shape or form because it doesn't seem like it's my club anymore doesn't seem like it's new, the Newcastle that I knew growing up watching, playing anymore. Um, and part of that is Ashley. But, I mean, you ask you ask Newcastle fans right now who they're more mad at right now, and it's certainly Steve Bruce over Mike Ashley. Mm -hmm. it's, it's excuse after excuse for Steve Bruce. And people joking that after the match in his post-match interview, it was the first semblance of responsibility he's ever taken, saying, I suppose I need to take responsibility I chose the team sheet today, but it's the same dross football <laughs> every single week. It's the same complete lack of attacking a 10. It's, you know, the, uh, the wash, rinse, and repeat of we need to roll up our sleeves. We need to dust ourselves off. And I think what, what the post-match interviews really say to me is truly the, the lack of any sort of tactical awareness. Because right. at, at very least, at very least, you could look, you know, you, you could look at that match as a manager and say, we, you know, just the simplest phrases, we need to win more 50-50 balls. We need to be better at not giving away possession, which we were dreadful at today. But it's never even a hint of that. It's the, the most cliched, we need to, you know, find it within ourselves to, to pick it up next game. And I don't know, I, I don't want to go into a whole discussion of, you know, who's the worst of the worst, but I, I, I would put John Carver, I would put Steve McLaren, I would put Joe oh. Kinnear all above Steve oh. Bruce, I think that there's not one, there's not not one positive that he brings to the club right now. And if the question is Bruce out, I don't think there's any rational Newcastle fan that would disagree with that at the moment. Do I no. think it'll happen in the immediate future? That I think largely depends on what happens in our remaining three matches in January. But the longer he stays, you know, the more we are going to sink into a relegation dogfight that we don't we don't seem ready for. I don't think Mike Ashley wants that either. I I'm starting to feel as though Bruce is not like basically unfireable at this point. I guess um, I'm starting to think that like the results have been so poor and the quality of football has been so bad that Ashley must be taking notice of this. Right? Ashley does not want the club to get relegated. He knows that it's going to make it harder to sell it. He still wants to sell it. And, you know, look, looking at our upcoming fixtures, Zach, our next three games, you talk about January fixtures here, away to Arsenal, we just lost there, home to Leeds, and away to Everton. How many points do you realistically see us picking up on those games? Zero. I, I, I would be shocked if we got one point from three matches. I would be, be like, I don't, you, I, like, I, on the basis of today, I would be, like, you could make a very valid case that we won't get a point for the rest of the season. I mean, yeah. Like what? What is there? What is there to make you think that we will ever get a point again? Alan, under Alan T. Maxman coming back is is the only hope that I hold out from a creativity standpoint. 
Sure. I mean, I don't see I don't see us getting loan signings, but besides maybe a random, you know, a random from Serie A, why would any player want to come to Newcastle? I'm I'm going to make a I'm going to make a random prediction here. Steve Bruce in our next game drops Carl Darlow for not saving the penalty today. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Martin, That's good. Put Martin Dubravka in and makes him his scapegoat. That's good. That would be that would be uh that would be on brand. Um, but I, I, I'd say let's let's leave it to maybe CHN Radio to to go into a bit more depth on that match. It was a horror show. It was perhaps the worst match any of us have ever seen. And Newcastle, Newcastle is very, you know, eight points above the drop zone. But there's no, I have no faith that that will remain uh, that that length or that uh that distance. You know, I I think that we are as much in. A relegation battle as any other team in the Premier League. Yep, I think it's it's starting to look really really bad. You know, we were we have been sitting a point really away from um, sitting a point away from twenty points, which statistically is supposed to be the halfway point to the safe forty point milestone now for for quite some time. <laughs> uh, we've been we've gone from kind of seventeen to nineteen in the past five games. And unfortunately, you know, we're almost halfway through the season. So we're not, we looked as if we were pacing really well and now we're dropping off. And I see us, like you said, losing the next three games. So potentially 20 games down with 18 to play, not even halfway to safety. That worries me, Zach. Absolutely. All right. Well, yeah, again, we'll, we'll let the, the lads at, at THN maybe delve into it a bit more and uh, kind of give you their opinions. Uh, other matches, though, that did take place today, um, if, if you can believe that there were other matches, Manchester United going clear of Liverpool, top of the table. They got a 1-0 win over Burnley, another relegation struggler. So Menu now 36 points from 17 matches. They have won Four of their last five, three on the trot. Always at the wheel, Adam, and they are—they're starting to get their identity. They—they're finally starting to get it. Ollie at the wheel, indeed. Yeah, it was a good performance from them too. They dominated about two thirds of the possession. Seven shots on target to zero for Burnley, and this was away from home as well. And I thought it was quite interesting the lineup. Martial has oftentimes played up top. They played Edson Cavani up top. And they played Martial on the left side of midfield with Fernandez through the middle and Rashford on the right. Um, so I thought that was an interesting formation. No space in the starting lineup for Mason Greenwood. Um, Cavani's getting a little bit more game time now uh, in spite of his ban recently that he served. Um, so just an interesting lineup, I thought. They love that 4-2-3-1, uh, playing one single lone striker with those three really fast, pacey wingers in behind. And it's working well for them. It's a good, it's a good side. Um, I, I'm actually really excited about Manchester United right now. I feel like they finally rediscovered that form that they've been lacking for a while. Mm -hmm. I, I could see Donny van de Beek becoming the next the next lost boy at Manchester United because Pogba is back into form, um, almost playing for his job, it seems like. He got that goal in, in the match, uh, a nice volley on uh, a cross in the – was in like the 65th minute, I think it was? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. Something close to that. Um, and yeah, again, Manchester United uh, top of the table for the first time in over 1,200 days. So yep. this is uh, you know a new, a, a, not a new challenger in the race for the title this year, but um, a, a team that most folks probably after six, seven matches wouldn't have predicted to be up there. I think that's fair. A couple of other points I want to talk on here. One for Manchester United and then talk a little bit about Burnley too. Uh, Manchester United signed um, Ahmad Diallo earlier on this week. This is a player who Rio Ferdinand in the press this week came out and said, relatively unknown player coming through. He's somebody who has been compared to Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, they've had this deal in place since October to sign him, and they've just dropped basically on an 18-year-old winger, 30-plus million pounds. Um, so he's come in from Atalanta. So don't know if we're going to see a ton of him this season, but one to watch out for. What, do, you, do you know a lot about him, Zach? Or, and what's your level of excitement here? Um, so Diallo was one of the players that kind of, you know, went from being a total unheard of uh, to somebody who at least was known around Italy uh, in Atalanta's run to the Champions League two seasons ago that in inside itself was a bit of a, a shock run. So 
Uh, Atalanta, a, a team known for their attacking play, they scored the most goals in Serie A last season and have scored quite a few uh, during their Champions League run this season. I, I don't know much about the player himself, but it will be interesting to see how he slots in, maybe going on loan, uh, kind of in the Chelsea model. But uh, obviously Manchester United have very high hopes for him if they're willing to shell out that type of cash. Yep, exactly. Great, great point. So on to Burnley. Um, Sean Dyche finally got some investment. Zach, takeover. Um, Ex-CEO mm -hmm. from Real Salt Lake um, has come in and basically another American takeover in the Premier League paid $200 million to acquire Burnley and promised significant investment. Uh, I'm happy for Sean Dyche is my first is my first reaction to this because I feel like he's had a really rough couple of transfer windows where he hasn't gotten a lot of backing. Do you feel like he's got enough transfer targets lined up and he knows where he needs to strengthen that we might see some immediate impact from that takeover in the in the transfer window we're in now? It's a good question. I you'd have to you'd have to think that if he is getting any sort of transfer kitty, he'll ask for uh, players to lead the lines. Only nine goals in. 16 matches for Burnley this season. So uh, that's obviously the most important thing to, to, I guess, harp on right now. But Daichi is a, he's a cagey character. You can't really ever read, you know, into, there, there, there are never really a lot of rumors coming out of Burnley of people that he's targeting, especially off the British Isles, as that's not really how Sean Daichi rolls. So we'll, we'll right. see if he can get some domestic players to come in because we know, we know that, Brexit Daichi is probably not looking to to sign anybody too flashy from South America. That is true. Yeah, he's he's you know he's never really had money to play with, so I think it'll be fascinating to see how this all pans out. Okay, on to the final game today. Um, we saw Wolves at home lose two one to Everton. Wolves who are still without Raúl Jiménez, still undetermined timeline for him to come back, and then Everton who had leapfrogged down from sixth up to fourth in the table with this win. Uh, I know you're a big Everton fan, Zach. Where do you think both teams are at right now, though? Wolves obviously languishing in the lower half of the league and underperforming somewhat, and then Everton perhaps overperforming. What's your What's your take on that? I think for Wolves, I mean, you look at how tight the middle of the pack in the Premier League is right now. Wolves sitting in 14th, yet only seven points behind sixth place Manchester City. So it does ultimately just become a question of when, if and when Jimenez comes back. Uh, Wolves obviously having got sold Diogo Jota, lost Jimenez, lost their two biggest goal-storing threats in the span of about a month. And uh, I, I think that realistically a top-half finish is, is still within reach for them. Again, I think it depends on if... A, if Jimenez, they think Jimenez is coming back soon when he gets back into form. But if, you know, if behind the scenes it looks like it's going to be a more prolonged absence, maybe they spend the money in January to get another striker. Wolves have invested quite heavily in that team. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now, for Everton, continuing a really, really impressive campaign, it's four wins in their last five matches, up to fourth in the table. There are three points or excuse me there are four points behind manchester united with the same amount of games played and for everton it's all about champions league qualification this year and we when we spoke in our last episode doing mid-season predictions i said everton will finish third i'm going to hold to that prediction everton is going from strength to strength right now and battling out those matches that they need to get the three points week after week yeah, cracking win today. I mean, even even though you're missing Raul Jimenez, this is a tough Wolves side to to beat, especially when going two Wolves to play. Um, they're they're an intimidating team to play against with uh, with all the Portuguese on the sidelines. There, uh, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I feel very very um, bullish on Everton this year. Maybe not quite as bullish as you, but I could certainly see European qualification happening for them this year and that would be a huge milestone for the club it's been it's been some time since they've achieved that to wrap on the premier league um i know we we obviously didn't have any premier league games this past weekend i just want to call attention to one team and that's chelsea sitting in ninth in the league on 26 points 17 games played same number of points as aston villa who have two games in hand same number of points as west ham a lot of pressure coming down on the shoulders of Frank Lampard right now. Zach, I'd love to hear your take. Do you feel like that criticism of him is warranted given the investment this summer? Or do you feel like he should be cut a little bit of slack 
uh, given the job he did last year with the transfer ban that they've had and obviously having a lot of new players settling in at the club? I, I would say that I've something I've harped on quite a bit recently is you know the the way in which I feel uh, saying it takes players time to adjust to the Premier League is a bit of an excuse, but I do think there is validity behind saying it takes a manager a, a decent amount of time to essentially a team that had seven to eight start uh, starters this season were new players brought in in the summer. You had Ziyech, you had Werner, you had Hyatt. You, uh, Havertz, excuse me, uh, Thiago Silva, Ben Chilwell, you know, a lot of new players, Reese James starting for really the first consistent time in his career. So I do, and, and then at, at goalkeeper, Edward Mendy as well. Um, I do think, you know, does, if, if ninth place is where they're going to end up towards the latter part of the season, do they, do they let, Frank finish it out and, and try to have a whole summer to, to really bring the team together. It's also important to remember that the offseason was the shortest in Premier League history this year. So I personally would give him a bit of a longer leash. Uh, that being said, with how much instability there has been across the league this year, it's it's a, it's a season that you, you want to be competing for Europe because you see a lot of teams slipping, dropping points over the past few weeks. And we, we know that Roman, Roman Abramovich is never afraid to fire a manager, and we'll, we'll have to see if a, a club legend like Frank is his next victim. Yeah, that's a great point. I saw something funny on social media. Obviously, they, uh, they just beat... Um, they just beat Morecambe 4-0 in the FA Cup this past weekend, which we'll talk about here, the, the competition in a second. Um, but if you remember, Newcastle eliminated Morecambe from the League Cup this year and won 7-0. So I saw two comments. One was Timo Werner and Kai Havertz have finally found their level because they both got on the score sheet against Morecambe. And the other thing I read was Chelsea, not as good as Newcastle. Newcastle went to Morecambe versus played at home and won 7-0 versus 4-0. So I thought... There's, there's a lot of people out there to hop on the criticized Lampard bandwagon right now. Um, he needs to start turning this around and winning very quickly because, as you said, Abramovich has a fairly short rope with his coaches. He's proved that in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens, though. I, I think that it would it would stir up a lot of drama internally if you you know you you fire a player of Frank Lampard's status in in Chelsea lore. But again, Abramovich, a, a man who uh, I, I wouldn't doubt would be willing to do that if he thinks that a change is needed. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, we're next, Zach. Other FA Cup results, there were quite a few matches played since it was only the third round proper. Uh, the t- three others that I wanted to mention, uh, Chorley in the sixth tier of English football getting a shock 2-0 win over Derby County. Um, a quote that I saw from the Guardian's recap of this match uh, that was pretty, uh, just kind of summed it all up and maybe summed up the magic of the FA Cup. Aaron Bauer writing, never before in the 138-year history of Chorley have they reached round three of the Cup. Now the club sitting 125th on the league pyramid will go one step further at least. The first team from this level to reach the fourth round since Havent and Waterlooville in 2008, uh, then goes on to talk about how Derby County's entire first team, including their manager, uh, Wayne Rooney, were out for this match due to a COVID outbreak. So, in fact, they fielded a club, or excuse me, a team made up all of players who had never played for the first team. Not one minute between the 11 players who dressed for Derby County. Nonetheless, a pretty incredible historic win for Chorley. Um, know anything about Chorley that you want to time in there with, Adam? <laughs> Thanks for setting me up. I did a little homework on this act. Did you know that Chorley's nickname is the Magpies? Oh, I did not. That's good. They're probably the uh, they're the more on form Magpies in English football. They they play better football, that's for sure. Um, and they're the only Magpies making it through to the fourth round of the FA Cup this year. So that is that is true. Also, they play at Victory Park where they were victorious against Derby. They play in the National League North and get this run of fixtures for Chorley. So they're in the sixth tier. That's two tiers below um, League two. 2. Yeah, League below League 2, exactly. So in order to get to the fourth round of the FA Cup, in the first round, they beat Wigan Athletic, League 1 team, Peterborough in the second round, also a League 1 team, now beating Derby, a championship team. And who do they have next, Zach? 
They have Wolves going and playing against Wolverhampton Wanderers. They're just climbing the ladder right now. Who who can't they beat? Exactly. Nuno Espirito Santo, I'm pretty sure, is quaking in his boots at the thought of the mighty Chorley at Victory Park. So watch this space. Might be another giant killing on their hands. Yeah, it was not the only giant killing in uh, the third round proper. Another lower level team, Crawley Town, in the fourth tier. So in uh, this is a team in professional football in League Two, beating uh, Leeds, the the darling of the Premier League, a three 0 victory. Uh, the first goal in that match, I don't know if you saw it, Adam, a dizzying yeah. solo run by the Crawley Town striker, a, a player whose name is escaping me right now, actually came up through the Spurs Academy. Sarula. There you go. Nicholas Sarula came up through the Spurs Academy. Kind of a cool story. How was part of a severe car accident a few years ago and for a significant period of time didn't think he was going to be able to play football again, was able to get back in the strength, dropped down to Crawley Town and scored that phenomenal goal uh, to start the party for Crawley Town. Uh, so getting that win over Leeds, that was a really exciting one as well. Do you have facts on Crawley? Are you going to come at me with that too? No, no facts here, but yeah, I wanted to highlight that first goal. I thought the turn there for the opener was filthy and a great finish as well for them. And this was a relatively full-strength lead side. As you would see with the Bielsa side, they put up 71% possession in this match. However, Crawley outdid them on the shots on target, 6-2. to two. Classic counter-attacking, sitting back against a Premier League team and trying to catch them on the break, and they, they did it on more than one occasion, ending up 3-0 winners in this one. Now, the one... The one uh, giant killing that was not to be was the lowest level team uh, participating in round three was Marine in the eighth tier, getting a lot of press going into this match. They were hosting Spurs, and uh, it was actually pretty cool to see Alan Shearer and another a number of other ex-Premier League players uh, leading a bit of a fundraiser for Marine, a team that has been pretty much run entirely out of a budget due to not being able to fill their minuscule stadium. I think they ended up raising about $20,000 for Marine, which probably pays off you know, the vast majority of expenses right now. Um, these, unfortunately, these, are all, these are all players who do not play professionally. They have other jobs as well, which I thought added to the beauty of this thing. Mm-hmm. It yep. was Spurs coming out victorious, a 5-0 win uh, in that one, but still a, a cool story for Marine. I, I saw a number of people posting on Twitter these like grainy photos of Gareth Bale that they were taking from their windows in the uh, their, <laughs> the homes around the stadium. So that was, that was pretty funny to see. Uh, now going on to round four, Adam, that's uh, the seating having already been done. Uh, a couple matches that there are, uh, that have been set up that, that will catch the eye in, in the next round of the FA Cup. Yeah, I think uh, the the one that really tops the list there is Liverpool going to Old Trafford. So Manchester United versus Liverpool, the current top two teams in the Premier League, is really the pick of the bunch as far as the round four fixtures. We've mentioned Chorley will be hosting Wolves, and then Spurs are going to Wickham to play against friend of the pod, Adebayo Akinfenwa. You get me. I love it. That's that's what you really want to see. It's gonna be it's gonna be, you know, the two Two of the most famous goal-storing threats in English football right now. Bale v. Akin Fenwa. It's going to be a brilliant match. So it, I'm excited for all three of those. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. Uh, I mean, obviously, Manchester United, Liverpool, the, the pick of the bunch. But, yeah, if, if Chorley could somehow get a win over Wolves, then, then get me a Chorley uniform immediately. Come on the Magpies, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Somebody, has, right. to do, somebody has to do the name well. Yep, exactly. And it's not going to be us based on Steve Bruce's coaching. All right. So that's our roundup of the third cup, third round of the FA Cup, excuse me. Um, and then before we take a quick commercial break here, as promised, I wanted to give you another clue, Zach. I want to hear if this actually helps with the EPL trivia question for the day. Just a reminder of that question which former Premier League player holds the record for most ever Premier League appearances with a total of 653? Here's your first clue, Zach, and listeners at home. He finished his playing career in 2020 and played primarily as a defensive midfielder he's nodding he's nodding and smiling he thinks he knows what it is absolutely know who this is but i will not say because you're going to give one more clue at the end of the pod i sure will right before the end we'll give our last clue and then we'll go ahead and give the answer if you're not able to get it zach so um right now though it's time for another wonderful 
commercial break. Brought to you by whoever's doing the ads today. See. All right, great. So we are back from that commercial break. Uh, last few things about the Premier League before we um, we're doing a bit of an abbreviated episode today. So we're going to jump right into armchair puns 10 and 90. Uh, but first, the top scorers in the Premier League. Uh, no big shakeups in that just because not a lot of matches have been played. Mo Salah uh, still leading the lines at 13 goals. Youngman Son with 12. And then tied for 11, Bruno Fernandez. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, and Jamie Vardy. So a, a close race still, and it is, um, you know, for for the, the real homers, exciting to see uh, a young English striker and an old English striker both up there in the top three of those rankings. Absolutely. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is my pick for for top scorer in the Premier League this season. Calling it right now. Who's the, who is the Everton homer now? <laughs> Just on Dominic Calvert-Lewin. That's it, though. Okay, that's fair. Not not yeah. Gilfie? You're not going to give any love to Gilf? Ex Swans player. I do like Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, but no, Pick, Pickford plays at that club. I can't. I can't support him. That's a good point. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's the only consistency in all of our episodes is we'll always slide in a, a Pickford slight. Yep. All right, armchair pundits, Adam. Why don't you go first today? Okay, I will. Mine's a very quick and simple one here. I don't have a lot of facts to back it up. Um, Usually I typically would, but uh, I'm going to go with this, Zach. We will go into the 38th game, so the final weekend of the season, and the Premier League champs will not have been crowned yet. Ooh, that's a cool one. I like that. So I just feel like there's lots of inconsistencies across the board team. There's not one team necessarily that can say that they haven't had a rough patch and may not have a rough patch again. Right now, if you ask me to put money on who I think is going to win the Premier League this season, Manchester City are the team in form for me. Manchester City sure. are the ones that are slowly eking out and grinding out results and looking impressive and starting to figure it out. That might be who I put my money on right now. But I just feel like it's going to be a close race this season. Gut feeling for me, not something I can back up with statistics, like I said. So we will go into that final game of the uh, final weekend of the season not knowing who the champs are yet is my armchair pundit for the week. I like that quite a lot. I, I was I was reading a number of different publications doing their mid-season predictions and seeing quite a bit of variety in uh, the, the writers for each of these different magazines um, talking about who they thought was going to win the Premier League. Most I, I think most people have been saying Manchester City as well, but I saw a number of United, I saw a number of Liverpool, even saw a couple of people saying that they think Spurs will be able to do it. And so, yeah, I mean, that would be... I, I wish I knew off the top of my head the, the last time that we went into the final day with it up for grabs. Was it was it the iconic Manchester City winning their first title? Was that the last time that we went into the final day not knowing who would be the 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 title holders? Um, no, I think it was a couple of seasons ago, right? It was also the um, with where Liverpool just lost the one game but still didn't win the Premier League. That was the that was on the last day of the season as well, correct? When City won it. Oh, when City won it with 100 points. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Okay, that's a lot more recent. Yeah. I think, uh, I think well, before that, before that, it was the Aguero goal and that's that, yeah. that one. That's definitely the one that sticks in the memory, right? As the more dramatic of the two. So, of course. Um, okay. Yeah, I do like that prediction. I hope that's true. That'd be very entertaining. Um, Keep us on the Who, if you had to guess right now, who will be? Who will be alive going into the final day? Let's go with the usual pretenders to the throne here. Let's go with City and Liverpool. It'll be boring. I think Manchester United will slip off. Okay. We all do. Um, All right. Armchair Pundit's another one that doesn't have any particular significant statistical backing and one that's probably not the hottest of takes uh, based on what we've talked about over the last few weeks. Uh, if Steve Bruce is still in charge come February, Newcastle is going to get relegated. I, I just, I, I think if we lose three more consecutive matches, which I do predict we will, it'll then be five consecutive losses. If that's not enough for Mike Ashley, I don't see Newcastle surviving because, I mean, we have, you know, we we have played the worst team in Premier League history and we've come up short. I think that Newcastle is one of the most predictable and easy teams to match up against right now because you know that they're just going to sit back and play long balls to a striker who is not uh, necessarily known for his hold-up play. 
I don't see funds coming in in January because, frankly, I think Mike Ashley, you're right, that he wants to stay in the Premier League, but I don't think he's willing to pay for that. I think he would be willing to take a gamble on just hoping that we can survive and he can sell the club. So I think if we go three more matches and Steve Bruce is still in charge, then Newcastle will be playing in the championship next season. Yep. I mean, I, I think that's certainly true. So let me ask you this then, Zach, as a follow-up question. If Steve Bruce were to be fired following three consecutive defeats here, it's around out January, who are some realistic targets that you feel like Newcastle could push for in terms of a managerial replacement? I think an Eddie Howe. And Eddie Howe would be somebody whose name would maybe pop into my head. Um, I think I mean, <laughs> he's I, I, half I, our team before, so why not? Right? I, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. He's quite familiar with Matt Ritchie, with Wilson, with Frazier. Um, I, I'd say other names that that might come into my mind. I, I mean, I hate to connect us with just one of the recycled uh, old white English managers, but but Pulis is a man who you know has done a job like this many times before. Uh, maybe uh, like Slavin Bilic, who just got uh, sacked at West Brom, although I don't know if he's interested in coming back to the Premier League right now. And I don't know. I, don't, I think the better question is who would want to to manage this club at the moment? Because, I, and we can maybe talk about this in more depth on a different episode, but I think, I think partially due to COVID and the lack of fans and just the, the way in which the atmosphere isn't there, I don't think there's the allure at Newcastle that there once was of, you know, 53,000 Geordies screaming faithfully. And obviously, you know, we, we all hope and pray that within maybe a year's time, we'll be close to, if not fully back to that moment. But I think until Ashley sells, there's not a lot of reason for a manager to want to manage this team. Yep. Uh, some great points there. Um, Lord, I, I, Tony Pulis is a Welshman, but Tony Pulis is not 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 the answer. He's a he's a long ball manager, um, and that's what we're doing right now. It just doesn't really mm-hmm. work. So, I would hope that if if that happens, I hope that we take a flyer on a young young coach who can come in and kind of like rally the troops a little bit, like Arteta did at Arsenal last season. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody like that. I really wanted. I think if you remember at the time, I wanted Arteta at the time when. Um, when we were when we were looking potentially at um at managers and then bruce came in i thought that was going to be a great potential signing for us but yeah just he, he obviously was waiting for the for the right career opportunity there but good good shout i like it yeah well i don't but i do think that there is a lot a, a realistic nature uh to that you know coming through if we can't get our shit together okay adam 10 and 90 do you have something fun for me today like, do you want to go first? Do you want to go second? What's what's the theme? I'll go. I'll go first. Um, I do have a theme for you today. Uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier on when we talked about the takeover. Um, somebody that we've talked about as a manager quite a bit in the past, but I'd like to test your general knowledge on a Mr. Sean Dyche. Oh, okay. All right, the gravel eater himself. That's right. Yeah, nails and bricks and nails for breakfast, right? Bricks um, and nails. Bricks and nails and Brexit for breakfast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so some some questions about Sean Dyche for you, Zach. You ready? Sure. What position did Sean Dyche play as a player in his career? Center defensive mid. Very close. He was a center back, so he was okay. uh, yep right at the there, heart there, of the there, defense. There. there were there were only two options there. There's yep. no way Sean Dyche is a is a tricky chuck on the heels winger. <laughs> And he looked exactly the same, slightly balding on the top and a red ginger goatee on the front when he was a player wow. as well. So good. I love that. Good looking guy. Uh, all right. Question number two. Sean Dyche's son, Max, who's 17 years old, plays for which league one side as a defender who Sean also had over 50 starts for as a player? I have no idea, but uh, I'll go with my favorite team in league one. We're going to go with whole city on this one. It is not Hull City. I'll give you one more clue. Um, the team begins with an N, and they're N Town. Northampton Town? Northampton Town is correct, sir. Well done. There you go. All right. Question number three. Sean Dyche in his career has only managed two teams. He's managed Burnley since 2012, and he managed one other team from 2011 to 2012. Who was that former Premier League team? Did he manage them in the Premier League? He did not. Okay. They were in the Premier League last, as recently as last season, and they are no longer in the Premier League. There's a clue for you. <laughs> that is certainly a clue for me. Um, 
Let's go with Norwich. It's not. It was Watford. It's Watford. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. There was a. Some would say there was a thirty-three percent chance I would get that one right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. So next question: How old is Sean Dyche? And I'm going to give you three years either way. Ooh. Hmm. Ooh. Oh, feeling. Feeling early fifties. I'm going to go fifty-three. Oh, one year outside of that. He's 49. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. So he's turning 50 in June. That's going to be quite the celebration. That'd be oh. a crazy party. You can imagine <laughs> like crushing so, yeah. each other's heads and stuff. So that's our that's our bonus then. Who name three people who will be at that party? <laughs> name three notable <laughs> people in English football who will be at that party. I think I think Big Sam Big Sam has to be there, right? Yeah, most most likely, I would think. Yeah, you think you think about historical Burnley players. I think I think he'd go for his defenders. Ben Mee and Tarkovsky would basically be like first two names on the list. Hard as yeah. nails, center backs. Um, and then I think you got you got to invite the two strikers as well, right? Wooden Barnes. Oh, I'll just sit around, around, sit around drinking whiskey, neat, and not talking. <laughs> That's Come what on, I imagine. Come on, lads, let's have another point. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna have another point by the end of the night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, final question then. Um, this was quite interesting because I was able to find this statistic. How much in British pounds does Sean Dyche earn annually as Burnley's manager? What are you um, gonna give me on the other side? I'll give you two hundred thousand British pounds either way. Let's go with like 1.3 mil. No. On a shoestring budget or Burnley FC, my friend, he earns 420,000 British pounds annually. Is that less than Gareth Bale makes? That's so that that sounds like to, to, to us normies, that sounds like a lot of money. However, when you put that into the perspective of like Premier League players who are north of 100,000 on a weekly basis, it's it's peak. only those per year. That's annually. Oh. Oh yeah, I, I was saying, does Gareth Bale make more than that in a in a week? Oh, That's God, no, yeah, managers earn less than players for sure. But yeah, I, mean, I, I guess I, I guess I wasn't yeah. I I wasn't thinking about that one in a correct mindset. That's. Yeah, I mean that's a lot of money, but that's a drop in the bucket compared to what some other people in the sport make. Exactly. I, I have no idea how much Carlo Ancelotti makes, but you would imagine it is probably ten x that. Yeah, he definitely he he certainly makes bank. Um, okay, what's my Welsh word, Adam? Spell it out for me. All right, I will do. Um, it is B W R D D. No vowels today, Zach. B W R D D. Fuck that language. Um, <laughs> Burf. It's borth. Borth. Okay. Yeah. And what does okay. it mean? Can you give me a clue? Uh, I'm getting a new one tomorrow. Let's see how much attention you were paying before we started the pod. Um, is that computer monitor? I don't know. No. What are you telling me? You're getting a new one? We're getting a new kitchen table. It's a table. Ah, uh, okay. Board okay. is a table. Board is. There you go. One word would at a time. Know that? Would you know that if you didn't look it up? Like, do you know Welsh? Mm-hmm. I do. I look up. Okay. I look up Welsh words to put in there, and I try and find like awful sounding ones that I think that you're yeah. going to get wrong. But yeah, I know. I know a lot of the vocabulary. Stringing it together is pretty hard. But like, there's. I, I see words and I recognize them for sure. Okay, if you overheard two people in in Denver, Colorado, having a Welsh conversation, would you be able to understand everything they were saying? Not everything they were saying. I'd know they were speaking Welsh, and I'd be able to pick okay. words out, but I'd get the gist of it. But no, I wouldn't be able to. Okay. Understand. I'd know they were talking about me if they were talking about me. Put it that way. Fair enough. All right. Yep. All right. Good. Um, okay, Adam. Let's get, let's get <laughs> let's get a little uh, a little depressing with with my ten and ninety. So my oh, questions God. all have the exact same. Uh, wording convention and it's looking at where Newcastle ranks in certain statistical categories in the Premier League this season so I think you're going to do decently on this one Um, (laughs) and so each of these I will give you one on either side there are 20 clubs in the Premier League I'm going to ask you where Newcastle ranks in in these different categories okay all right let's do it Yep. So question number one, Adam, uh, with a buffer of a plus or minus one, where does Newcastle rank in the Premier League this season for total passes? 
Oh, Lord. We don't have a lot of possession, so I don't think we rank pretty high on this one. Let's go 20th. 18th. So 18th. you were just off. Um, Who yes. is worse than us? Sheffield United is actually – well, I don't know if this was updated for today's match, but they I were – yeah, they were they were just below us. Um, I should have had this pulled up while I was asking these questions. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna look at the passes for today. Give me just a second. I'm gonna pull up the statistics today. Oh, they had oh, they had almost double our passes today. We had a, I think 288, and they had about 553. Mm, accurate. Let's look at accurate passes. 484 to 193. That's oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, this was some of the worst in terms of uh, worst matches I've seen recently in terms of giving away simple simple passes. So. Yep. That is not terribly surprising. Okay, Adam, where does Newcastle rank in the Premier League this season for yellow cards? Not as high. I'd say maybe... Oh, so like one would be the most yellow cards and 20 would be right. least. Got it. Um, sixth. Newcastle has the third most yellow cards in this season. So not okay. only do we rarely have the ball, but when we don't, we are oftentimes going at players' ankles like Ryan Frazier did today third most yellow cards in the premier league adam where does newcastle rank in the premier league for shots on target <laughs> oh they gotta be so low well newcastle have scored 18 goals there are several teams that have scored less goals than them let's go with 17th very good i had a feeling you were gonna get that one 17th is correct Adam, this is the one that really just, I had to read this a few times. Adam, where does Newcastle rank in the Premier League this season for through balls? And to define a through ball, a through ball is when you play, a, a player on Newcastle would play a pass that would be between two defenders that a, a, a Newcastle attacker would on rush would rush onto. So that is what is defined as a through ball. Where do not, we a, rank not, through across, not across from the wing, that wouldn't count. No, no, absolutely not. Um, it would have to be a, vert a vertical pass on the ground uh, that is between two defenders that you're over, essentially making an overlap run onto. Where do we rank and how many do we have total in 18 matches? Based on the grin on your face, I'm going to say we rank dead last. Correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> in 18 matches. Let's go for like seven. So... 17 matches actually. Newcastle okay. United has one through ball. <laughs> I was trying to be generous. Not only do we never attack, but we when we do attack, it's just seemingly a you know a ball bounces around and somebody kicks it in the goal. Like the 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 lack of any sort of offense offensive coherence is remarkable if you have one through ball in and in the next I, th I believe, if I remember looking at this, the next lowest is is four. So we get quadrupled in terms of through balls this season. Well, you're right. This is depressing. Okay. And the final one, Adam. Uh, where does Newcastle rank in the Premier League for corners? Hmm. Probably not a lot because we don't attack a lot. I'll go with 18th on this one. Nice. You you went two for five or three for five actually on today. We do rank 18th in the Premier League for corner kicks. Uh, I believe two of them have been scored by Kieran Clark, and the rest of them were never got past the first man. <laughs> Sounds about right. Matt Ritchie yeah. probably was crossing them in. Yeah. Oh man, how the mighty have fallen. All right, that was yep. good. That was some good. That was some good uh, variety in how we felt on that one. Yep, I like it. All right, so it's time to wrap up our EPL trivia question for the week as we're wrapping up 10 and 90 here as well. Um, okay, Zach, you're feeling pretty confident. I've seen you kind of smile and nodding your head a little bit. So I'll, I'll give the last question before I ask you, or the last clue, I should say, before I ask you for your answer here. Sure. Question again for listeners, which former Premier League player holds the record for most ever Premier League appearance with a total of 653? The first clue midway through the pod was he finished playing his career in 2020 and plays primar or played primarily as a defensive midfielder. Your final clue is his list of Premier League teams in, in the order in which he played for them. Aston Villa, sure. Manchester City, Everton, and West Brom. Zach, think about this for a second while our listeners also mull this over. Okay. You, you think you think this has reinforced your answer? I I was pos I was pretty sure without a clue, I was 
very sure after the first clue, and I am now positive in my answer. All right. Go ahead, sir. What do you got? The player with the most appearances in Premier League history with how many was it? 623? 653. Is former England center defensive midfielder Gareth Barry. It is absolutely Woo! well done. Gareth Your first EPL trivia question is a successful one. Hopefully you weren't cheating on that. We're going on the honor system here. Obviously, it's, it's a pod long effort for these things. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, congratulations to you at home if you got that right as well. Um, thanks for playing. I'll have another trivia question for you again next pod. Lovely. Well, thank you, Adam. That was good. Uh, all right, let's wrap it on up. Uh, uh, are there any matches in particular you're excited for on the weekend when it comes to the Premier League? There absolutely are. The Cleveland Browns are playing at the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday. Just no, I'm looking forward to that one, though. Uh, the first game I'm looking forward to is Liverpool versus Manchester United. And why wouldn't we be? Second place first. Liverpool, struggling epically, can't win a game for their lives. When have we last said that? Against Manchester United, who can't stop winning. Well, uh, Before we go into the other two games that we're looking forward to, because clearly that's going to be one of your three as well, what are your mm -hmm. predictions for that game on, on Sunday? It's at Anfield. I can see it being almost a like a replica of the uh, the Liverpool Spurs match when when they were one and two in the table with Spurs losing on a, a last minute header by Firmino. I don't know if I would say that that specifically will happen, but I could see it being one one for the majority of the match, and then a team coming out victorious at the end. I'm I'm go I'm gonna go crazy here, and I'm gonna say that Liverpool spank them. Do you think it comes down to just having a much better manager? Uh, I don't know if it's that. I think that Liverpool are hurting right now. They've had a couple of games where they've been woefully inept and they've underperformed. And I think at some point they've got to turn that around and they'll be up for this game. This is a big, mm -hmm. big game for them. They can't afford to lose ground. And I think Liverpool comes into this one and blows Manchester United away. Okay. Okay, I like that uh, prediction. So other matches, I, I'm going to pick out, I'll say Leicester-Southampton is one that I'm quite excited for. Uh, two yeah. teams that have a lot of attacking flair. Um, I think that one could be uh, one of the higher scoring matches of the weekend. Yeah, I think that should be a great footballing contest, right? And one thing I quickly want to mention on Southampton, because I, I, we didn't really get a chance to cover this. When Southampton beat Liverpool, did you see... Ralph Hasenhutl fall to his mm -hmm. knee, cry on the sideline. Like amazing. I'm, I'm all in on Ralph Hasenhutl now. That for me, that was the moment where I was like, screw your Klopp. I adore this guy. Like the passion that he showed in that moment. Like, give us a coach like that at Newcastle. Oh my God, can you imagine Zach? <laughs> I don't want to imagine because we had it, maybe not emotionally, but we had a manager like that quite recently who cared about that club. Uh to to that extent um third match are you are you gonna go with let me see villa everton that's okay. that's another good one that was the one i picked yeah so for me it's the battle of the overachievers if you will right nobody yeah. expected villa, especially villa to be where they were at after they survived on the final day of the season last season and right now they're sitting pretty in the league in eighth place and they have two games in hand uh, which they could potentially be on the same level number of points as leicester and everton if they win those games in hand they're gonna have a tough tough way to really get there as well especially with this first game against everton at home who are in great form as well um, but I think this one will be a great one to watch. There'll be a lot of good attacking football. Hammers is is back in the team and playing well for Everton today. Um, and Villa, obviously, are going to get Ross Barkley back here soon. That'll be a big addition for them back to the team. Mm -hmm. Villa also, I they have played two less matches, but one of the better defenses in the, the top half of the table, a far superior defense to Manchester United, who is top of the table. They've given up eight less goals, uh, again, in, in two less matches. But yeah, yep. this will be a good one. Um, well, it'll be a big test of Dean Smith, I think, because Angelotti is one of the most accomplished managers in world yep. football right now. Yep. I think, you know, um, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's going to be, they're going to make for good watching. One last thing I wanted to close the pod on. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this. Um, we'll, we'll probably cover transfers. I think a little bit more in the next pod. Cause I think there'll be a bit more to talk about. Um, Sebastian Allaire, um, left West, West Ham and went, back, went to Ajax. back to Europe to play for Ajax. Exactly. So there's a significant, um, loss on him. I think about 50% of the original 30, 40 million transfer fee. A lot of people making, 
um, comparisons to one Joel Linton at Newcastle in terms of investment and falling short. Hilaire, I think, had a little bit more success than Joel Linton has had, to be fair, but he's also an out-and-out striker. So what do, you, what do you make of that decision from David Moyes? He doesn't really seem like a Moyes player, does he? Yeah, and he, he never really seemed – I mean, you never really know what's going on behind the scenes, but he never really seemed terribly, you know uh, – terribly invested in in the club i'm not saying that he you know is is trying or for a lack of effort but it never really seemed to gel and i think that yeah if you're going to be able to get 20 plus mil for a player that has wildly underperformed i think that that was a very good piece of business by west ham yep i i totally agree and then uh, one other one other transfer i saw was charlie austin left west brom after we we're talking about their lack of depth at striker um, <laughs> big sam let charlie austin go um on loan out to qpr and he promptly went within 24 hours and scored the winner today um at luton so good uh, good on charlie austin he took his blonde charlie. locks to the championship back back to his former club uh at qpr so nice right. good at loftus loftus road no is that that yeah, that's, what, that's, that's where that's where QPR played, but this one was actually at Luton. Is the the Kennel Kennelworth Road? Kennelworth Road, of course. Uh, all right, well, a good 59th episode after a bad day of football in the Premier League. Uh, always a pleasure. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Maybe you might hear us on CHN Radio. Uh, in the meantime, if we get another guest appearance, uh, in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at c at CHN Podcast. You can also follow me at Z-P-E-N-S-A-K, that's Z-Pensac. Adam is not on that tech grind, so I can be the liaison if you have any comments for him. But yeah, give us a shout if you have any comments, questions, or want us to go over anything in the future. Absolutely. Until next time, Zach. Footy. Footy.